All right, and we are episode 42. This is, uh, we have a special guest, and that's Aaron Rubin, the founder and CEO at Ship Hero. Um, as you know, me and Stephanie uh, with Durham Warehouse, we're just very involved in the e-commerce space um, on uh, the agency side with the media cap, and we have a lot of e-commerce clients. So we're very active in following um, just, you know, thought leaders in the e-com space. And uh, Aaron has been one of my favorite follows um, and, uh, yeah, Aaron, I'll let you give a brief introduction. We have a bunch of questions for you, and I can't wait for people to hear more about Ship Hero in, in your story. But, um, yeah, give your, give your introduction. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Jason. So um, started in e-commerce, ran an e-commerce company selling martial arts apparel for about uh, 15 years um, and then started Ship Hero about seven years ago. Ship Hero helps e-commerce companies with fulfillment. We do it in two ways. We have software, uh, which is a warehouse management system, and then we have warehouses for people that want to outsource us, which runs on that same warehouse management software. Got it. And so that's kind of, I mean, you started an e-commerce company 15 years ago. Stephanie and I always joke about, like, we wish we didn't go to college. We wish we just started Durham Warehouse, you know, uh, back in 2006. So Walk us through, like, how did you start an e-commerce company 15 years ago? What And what, what was e-commerce like 15 years ago? Well, I started it 21 years ago at this point. 21 years ago. I to ship so I started in 1999. Uh, so wow. Pre-Google, pre, pre just started a search engine instead. Um, <laughs> uh, so the way I started was um, I had been, like, making money online. So I was... Um, born in 1979, so I was like 20 years old then, or 19 then. Um, but I had been making money as a teenager just doing some ad stuff online. So, like, I was pretty comfortable on the Internet and in that space, and then a family friend who was, like, 10 years older than me said, like, hey, I'm looking for some advice. I want, want to buy this martial arts apparel website from someone I know. The guy wants, like, I think it was $7,500. seemed like a fortune to me at the time. And he's like, I don't know anything about, you know, any of this stuff. Can you, like, just take a look and let me know if you think it's worth the money? So I was like, sure. I got back to him. I'm like, I don't think there's enough value here to be worth that much money. Like, you could probably build it for, for less on your own. I'm not sure why you would buy it. So he's like, why don't we just do it together? Um, you know, you build the website. I'll, I'll handle the, the sales and product side. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure, sounds sounds fine, sounds like a good idea. Uh, so we just put in like I think thousand two hundred and fifty bucks to just kind of get the ball rolling, um, launch the site, and then you know who knew I'd be doing that for the next you know fifteen years of my life. Um, but that's how I got into it. And then um, I ended up dropping out of college a couple of years later. Um, so I started it I think summer of freshman year, and then I dropped out after junior year. Uh, so I was making like 35 grand. I was taking home that much. And like at the time, that was more than I would have made if I graduated, you know, computer science and, and got a job somewhere. And I was like, well, why would I spend another year in college to come out, get a job and make less money than I'm already making? And that was going up every year. So I, just, I dropped out of college and, and just ran the company full time. And, and I'm sure back then, like now, if you have a good online business, it's almost uh – it's a lot more acceptable to drop out of college, but I'm sure a lot of people were raising their eyebrows back then. Um, it was weird. Um, I was also, I had some family issues at the time, so I had a lot of weirdness going on in my life. Um, 
it was definitely like a super isolating, you know, being like all my friends were still in college. Um, so, you know, they couldn't really hang out with them much, you know, hang out with them, go back to the dorms every once in a while and play cards with them or something. But, you know, I was, I was living my own life um, on a very different track than all my friends, uh, which was, which was a bit tough. Um, so, you know, yeah, these days maybe it's a little, it's a little easier where people find it a little bit more, more normal than it was, you know, 20 years ago. And Aaron, I mean, you just had a pretty powerful tweet yesterday just about the isolation and dropping out of college and even like contemplating suicide, which is, uh, you know, I just want you to, I think a lot of people don't realize that for business owners, how isolating it, it can be. So I think a lot of people would just appreciate hearing that because I don't think it's something that's talked about a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough. Like I had, you know, issues going in. I, I grew up like um, an Orthodox Jewish community, but that wasn't my belief system. So I kind of lost contact with like most of my friends and family from, you know, pre-college. And then I dropped out of college. So, um, you know, just was living a different life than my friends in college. So it's kind of isolated. And then, um, you know, running a business, like, you know, you have employees, but it's just, you don't have that relationship. It's, it's different. You know, when you're done with work, you know, you're not, you, you, your employees don't want to be, um, you know, hearing from you, or at least that's, that's how I felt about things. So, um, this is really, really lonely in that perspective. And also you just have all these pressures of, um, you know, you got payroll and, never had that before so you know you're all nervous about you know making sure that everything's going right and you know no um maybe not a lot of peers or people you can talk to about it um so it's it's a weird combination of kind of like isolation and pressure um which definitely took a toll on me um didn't seek any professional help but (laughs) um i should have so if anyone is going through the same thing um just, just having someone who could to talk us through it would probably be smarter than, than what I did, which is just kind of just survive and get through it. And eventually, like, everything turned out fine and, um, you know, life, life got back to normal. But those first couple of years were, were, were pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, that, and, it's, it's, that's tough. Jason and I have each other to talk to. We're, we're brother and sister. Um, so we can imagine, like, not having that. It's, that would be really tough. Yeah, it's great that you guys have. Yeah, you can talk to each other. That's because uh, you're, you're sharing the same challenges. You have someone you could share it with, and who's kind of going through the journey with you. Right. Um, definitely help. Yeah, and thanks. Th- thanks for sharing that. Um, so, in going back to the, is it, is it pronounced Zangu? Yeah. Yeah. So going back to Zangu, I mean, 1999. Like, how are orders being? placed over the phone? Are they being placed like that? How are you taking orders at that time? You know, so we, we had, a, it was like an open source um, software called Interchange, which is written in Perl. I was a computer programmer, um, so took that, made that work. Um, more of the challenges with like getting the ability to accept the credit card when you're like, I'm a 19-year-old kid trying to get a credit card company to um, you know, let me take orders on the internet for martial arts stuff. Like, no one would re- even return my call. You know, um, these days that's that's all a lot easier. Um, but yeah, other than that, like the stack was was um the technology. Like we just built our own. There was no Shopify or anything like that, so we just built everything ourselves. 
Um, but it was not that different than what you would see um, see today. Got it. And, and from like a sales trajectory, so from like 99, um, what was happening with, with every year were sales going up? Was it going up 50, 100%? Like what were what was the growth of, of Zangu? Yeah, so we went from zero to 6.3 million between 1999 and um, 2007. Um, I think our slowest year, we grew by like 33%. So things were going up really nicely. And then um, financial crisis hit. Everyone pulled their kids out of karate schools. So our sales went from up 33% to down 25% uh, pretty much overnight. Um, and then we also lost access to credit. So like we had a $170,000 line of credit, which, you know, we were never late on or anything, but they pulled it because that's what they, everyone did then. And then America Express took our credit cards, took one from like $50,000 limit to a $500 limit. And, you know, you have oh to pay those back. <laughs> um, so it was really tough. Actually, that's when I ended up um, breaking up with the partner that I started it with. Um, basically, I told him, like, if you'll take the debt of the company, um, you can have the company and I'll walk away. And then he turned around and said, you know something, why do you take the debt of the company and I'll walk away. So so he walked away. I took the company um, and then worked away out of, out of the debt and got it back to be profitable after a few years. How were you and, acquiring and people, new customers in those, in those early days? What were you doing to, you know, find new customers? So SEO was really how we started. Huh. Um, and then, um, so not paid, just like organic search was, you know, much more, was much more of the Google search results were organic. So you can really live in that space. Um, and we were kind of leading there over, over the years, it became all about brand where people just knew us and it's just started shopping there. But, but search is how people initially found us. And, and so where is Zangu? To, like, is that, um, are, are you still full owner of that? Like, what's your oversight on that from also having to run like Ship Hero? What's, uh, what's the dichotomy there? Yeah, so I still own it. Um, we got a, a great small team there. It's kind of morphed into, um, we sell to a specific martial art called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We have our own brand. It's called 93 Brand. Uh, people like the brand. Um, so, yeah, it still operates. It um, makes good profits. Um, so, yeah, it's still, it's still running. And, and so you were, I think you said it before the financial crisis, you were at like 6.3 million. Are you at... Uh, 2050, like where's, or I mean, if you don't no. want to disclose it, that's perfectly fine. No, no, it's never, interesting. Yeah, it never, I think the, the highest post that was um, somewhere in the 7 million range um, that we got it back up to um, right before I started Shapiro and then after that, um, it's gradually gone down to, I don't know what it was last year, maybe 5.5 million in revenue. We just kind of switched the focus a lot to because I was basically spending all my time on ship there, I was just trying to keep that business profitable, not really worried about growing it. It's also, we, we live in a really small segment, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so we're like the largest player in that segment, and we just try to make sure we have good profit margins and, um, you know, not worried about any sort of, you know, top-line growth or trying to sell it or anything, just like just keep it operating, keep making good products, people buy it, um, just rinse and repeat. 
Yeah. And I mean, even on the agency side, like we see with clients that have a, a niche demo, I mean, it always is easier to convert and that's, you know, never, never a bad thing to just own, you know, own the industry. So, or at least have a, a strong, um, you know, grasp on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of competition. Most of them, you know, dropped off. A lot of people came in, they raised money. It's too small a space to have raised money, but a lot of them did. And then, um, you know, spend a bunch of marketing. So we'd see our, our sales drop off, you know, drop off as they, you know, um, would really be, be pushing hard on the paid, on paid acquisition. And then, you know, the next year they either shut down or, um, you know, really dial back and, you know, then our sales rebound. So we, we just kind of keep, uh, like low marketing spend, quality product, a brand that people like and then don't really sweat what's going on around us. And that formula has been working now for you know, many years. Got it. So, so how did Ship Hero then, I'm sure as you're going through this, you're just uh, seeing logistical issues and the thoughts coming in your head about Ship Hero, but just talk about um, how Ship Hero started. Like when did the light bulb um, come about in your head and like how'd that all start? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was always interested in the logistics side, so we had built our own, like, pick-and-pack system, which, like, lots of people had seen, and they'd be like, oh, could I use that? And I'd be like, no, I can't sell it. I built it for myself. But when I really decided to do it was um, we, uh, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is really big in California. Our warehouse is in New York, so um, kind of compete with Amazon. We were uh, UPS second-day airing a lot of products in California, and um, I would pay more to UPS every year than I would keep for myself. So uh, my UPS bills exceeded my net profit, um, and it absolutely always drove me crazy. So I always wanted to be able to um, ship from closer to the customer. So if I'm shipping from Nevada to Southern California, I could ship it ground, and it cost me like 750 and still get there in two days versus like when I'm shipping from New York, I got to put it UPS stuck in the air and it cost me 20 bucks. Um, so I always wanted just to be able to like have it shipped from closer, but like we're not nearly big enough to run two warehouses, right? We barely have the scale to run one warehouse. So um, I just wanted to figure out how to solve that. I didn't realize quite how much work it would take, take to do that and get there. But that was the, that was the impetus to really say like, all right, how can I solve this? And if I'm having this problem, you know, everyone else is having this problem. So how do I solve it for myself? And there's probably a big business there. So what what was the process like of just getting that started? Well, so how did I get Shapiro started? Yeah. So well, the first thing we needed, yeah, so the first thing we needed was just like software to run in a warehouse, right? Um, so we started working on that. So it was just like um, you know, nights and weekends in the beginning. We had those still running um, the martial arts business full-time. So nice and weekends, just, um, you know, writing code, uh, you know, working on designs and just, just starting to, just starting to build, build a product. Um, I had my own warehouse as a customer and then a friend of mine who owns a company called Wine Chateau, um, which is, they have a bunch of stores in New Jersey and also sell online. Um, he had seen kind of the software we used internally, and he always wanted it. So um, he was our first customer, um, still is a customer to this day. 
Um, so we had a couple of couple of uh, customers, uh, so we can really use it at scale. So we can actually develop it and make sure it really works. And you know that was really it for like a couple of years till we got till we were actually able to sell it to, to anyone else. Um, it was a long journey. Yeah. What What were the biggest challenges in that? Like, what were, What were the most difficult parts about getting it started and getting it up and running? And what were some things that maybe like you didn't expect? Yeah. So. Um, the, the scope of what we had to build was broader than I thought. Like people were like, uh, wanted the system to do more than I expected it to need it to do. So that really broadened it a lot. Um, yeah, I think that was, that was the biggest challenge. I expected to build kind of like a small solution that just like did some stuff in the warehouse around like picking and packing and then people are like, well, if that's all in there. Um, I also need to be able to, like, my customer service needs to be able to log in and see the status, and they need to be able to do refunds and returns, and uh, what about purchase orders, and how do I uh, receive the stock, how do I cycle count the stock, and it became, like, when you talk to someone, they'd be like, okay, I love this thing, but I can't, you know, I love your pick and pass, I love your apps, but, like, I can't use it, because how am I going to do my purchase order? So, I'm like, okay, i got to build purchase orders, and, like, that kept going, where it just, like, kept growing in scope until we built something broad enough where people can say, okay, I'll just rip out my old software and put yours in there. So it started off with, with the, the whole software piece of it, and then how did the actual fulfillment part come about? Yeah, so our initial plan was we build the software. I can run in my warehouse. I give it to uh, a 3PL, uh, third-party logistics company on the other side of the country. Let them run it there, and boom, problem solved. What happened was um, people said, like, I don't care about solving this, like, ship from closer to the customer problem. I just need, like, my own warehouse to work well, right, just be efficient and be able to ship, um, you know, at scale. And we don't care about your whole master plan. We just want, we just want software to work in our warehouse. So, um, so we dialed it back and focused on that part. Um, and then um, tried several times to get to this idea of like to get to this idea of like how do we get this distributed network? So first we did, you know, that initial idea I explained. The second idea was um, I found one partner warehouse, and I'm like, okay, you're going to be the partner warehouse on the West Coast. All my East Coast customers will use you. Um, that that partner warehouse um, you know, just just did a bit, just did a poor job. They would not receive the stock for two weeks after it showed up, things like that. So, um, so we're like, okay, well, that, that doesn't work. Um, then the third thing we tried is we built like a marketplace where you can choose who you want to work with. And you could choose one partner or multiple partners. Um, that also didn't work um, because um, uh, it was, there's a lot of friction in the negotiating. People didn't know what prices to pay. We were just being like a – uh, independent, you know, we weren't getting too super involved in the process. We were just being a matchmaker, and it was too much friction. It didn't work. So that didn't work. So the next thing we said is um, you can just – we'll own the process. Just outsource it to us. We'll give you the pricing. We'll give you the SLAs. Um, and then you can choose uh, which warehouses to put it in. So we have a warehouse in Nevada, Salt Lake City, Indiana, Ohio, Florida, uh, a couple others. So – we're like, just choose a few and build your own distribution network. Mm-hmm. Um, a few people took us up on that, um, but most people said, hey, that's still too complicated. Like, I just want to ship my product to one warehouse and not worry about it. 
So then what we did, this is the last step, is we said, okay, you can just ship your product to one of our warehouses, either our warehouse in Pennsylvania or our warehouse in Nevada. We will distribute it for you to all those warehouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the step we're on now. So okay. <laughs> it took a lot more work than expected. Yeah, a lot of a lot of trial and error. It sounds like. Yep. Yep. Um, so now I kind of I kind of want to tell you a little bit about Durham Warehouse, which is our e-commerce business, and you can you can go through you know how the pricing structure of Ship Hero works just using Durham Warehouse numbers, and then also you know we we don't use Ship Hero currently. Um, we fulfill everything ourselves. Uh, so you know, why, how Ship Hero would help us and why we should consider it. Um, so Durham Warehouse, we sell about 2,000 SKUs, about 100 brands of skincare products. We have an office in Columbus, Ohio. We fulfill everything ourselves. Um, so tell me what information you need to know to, like, you know, what what would you need to build the pricing structure? What How would you kind of sell me on Ship Hero? Um, I mean, I might not. I might just tell you that we're not the right fit. But uh, okay. what's what's the um, how many orders a day are you shipping? We're doing about 150 to 200 orders a day. And you're just using like ShipStation and Shopify, something like that. We use WooCommerce. We use ShipStation, and we use Finale Inventory. Okay. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't pitch you on switching. Um, so that's a, that's a good stack to have at that scale. Um, so being that you're selling third-party goods, right? Uh, you got to mm-hmm. carry a lot of, got carry a lot of different SKUs. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're you only probably have you know, a couple of people who are involved in like picking and shipping, right? Yep. We have three people who who do all of the packing and shipping. You know, when it gets really busy, I chip in and help too. Um, but yeah, it's a small team when we do everything from our office here. Yeah, so yeah, I would I would stick with that plan. I mean, it sounds like you got it figured out. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be bumps in the road that make you think of, oh man, if only I can make this better. Um, but um, but that's you know, yeah, ShipStation is is quality software. Finale is quality software. Woo is you know, it's, it's great as as long as you got it you know uh, set up correctly. So um, and yeah, I, I would I would stick with that plan. Usually when we get involved is uh, people that are shipping a lot more than that, um, mm-hmm. where basically what happens is two things: you have too many people, so they don't know um, they don't know everything anymore, right? And maybe they're not as um, you know diligent, so they start to make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just it's so costly having mistakes. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, second thing is efficiency. So. One thing we found at my martial arts business, which I thought I had a pretty good handle on the warehouse, was between our busiest picker, our, our most efficient picker, and our least efficient picker, it was uh, twice the productivity. So um, right. I was paying, you know, a dollar more an hour for someone who was doing twice the work of the guy who was getting a dollar less, right? But I didn't know that because I just didn't have the, the software to tell me that, right? Um, oh. So yeah, once you get to, you know, again, when you have three, four people, you you know what's going on. When you've got twenty people, it's a lot easier for someone someone to fly under the radar and not do a good job. Um, so you know, that's sort of when we get involved. Um, so it's a you see a pretty big pickup in efficiency and accuracy. Number one accuracy, number two efficiency. 
Um, but at your skill, you can do that all manually. And as long as you can do it all manually, uh, I, I would, if I was you, I would, I would not adopt Shipyard. I would just do it manually until you got a little bigger. Okay. Well, now we're doing the right thing for now, at least until we get a little bigger. We definitely did have some issues with accuracy and we've had to, you know, address those different things as they came up. Um, so it sounds like your ideal customer is someone who's doing how many orders a day, would you say? Well, starting in, in one other. In one other thing, Aaron, the other the other thing that I found interesting where you mentioned that we have a lot of SKUs, like is your ideal uh, customer also where it's like less SKUs or are you able to take a client that has, you know, uh, 600 different SKUs? So on fulfillment, uh, where you outsource to us, we almost always are working with um, brands that have, that are selling their own product. So we do, we work like Dress Barn, um, you know, companies like that who have like, they might have a lot of SKUs, but it's like it's their own product. They're moving a lot of it. It's coming in directly from overseas in bulk. Like that sort of flow works better for fulfillment. On the SaaS side, yeah, I mean, we have customers that have, um, you know, 100,000 active SKUs. So on the software side, that's fine. But the reason why I said, you know, um, based on the number of SKUs, I was thinking about fulfillment and then the volume I was thinking about the software. So, that makes sense? Yeah, yep. So, how, tell us, explain how the pricing structure works a little bit. Uh, on fulfillment or just on software or both? Both. Okay, so fulfillment, the pricing's right on the website. Um, if you go to fulfillment.shiphero.com, there's like a pricing tab. It tells you how much each package is. Um, we don't charge for like receiving um, or any other than just shipping and then storage is free for 60 days and after 60 days if a product hasn't moved um, we start charging starting that day um, and that's that's really the sum of the shipping it's, it's some of the charges it's, it's really transparent um, on the software side also you can go to shiphero.com you can support slash pricing it's um, we're definitely not the cheapest software it starts at $1,850 a month for the software and then that includes, I think, five users, and then it, we charge each additional user no other sort of like per package fees or anything like that. It's just straight how many users do you need um, is what we charge basically. Okay. Uh, so what so side is, what, what, is it pretty even on the two sides of, of the business, just on the software and on the fulfillment? Is it like an even revenue breakdown for you guys, or do you guys, you know, is your moneymaker more on the software? What's... Um, What's like the more lucrative part? Well, top line, more money comes in on fulfillment because we just charge a lot more, right? Because we're charging not just for the software, we're charging for, you know, actually shipping the, shipping the, the product, putting the UPS label. So much more revenue on the fulfillment side, um, more volume on the SaaS side. So like on the software side, we work with um, companies like um, Canadian Tire, which is like the largest Canadian retailer, uh, we work with Mars, the chocolate company. Um, we work with, um, we've done some stuff with PepsiCo. Like, so we, we deal with some customers that are just doing, and a bunch of names you probably don't think are big, but are <laughs> ship tons of stuff. We work with a company called G Fuel that sells supplements, a couple other companies like that. They just do huge volume, um, even though they're just like a direct consumer brand. Um, so, so we're shipping a lot of orders that way. Um, so that's where most of the order volume is, but most of the revenue comes in from fulfillment. 
Makes makes sense. Um, so, Aaron, I mean, you're working with these with big brands now. I mean, you have a great client roster. How are they? Are, is right now? Is it just word of mouth? Where in the e-com space, you know, it word of mouth travels pretty fast, or is it uh, something that you've done on the marketing side? What's what's helped you get to to where you are now? Yeah, I think so. Part of it's just we've been around for a while, um, which helps. Um, marketing, we just started um, really pushing on that. Our first marketing hire was actually made this year. Um, so before that, we just really weren't doing much of anything. Um, but yeah, I think in e-commerce, you know, for for the 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 customers we serve. Um, like if you want, if you're shipping, you know, more than 10,000 orders a day, you're selling e-commerce, um, there's just not a lot of great solutions out there. So people like that tend to, tend to find them. Makes, makes sense. And I mean, talk about, uh, is it 150,000 square feet, the, the new warehouse space that you just moved into? I saw that on Twitter and then I saw the pictures in the video and it seems massive. Uh, tell us, tell us about the space and how that came about. Yeah, yeah, so we added a new space, um, like just this month in Pennsylvania, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, we have a bunch of warehouses, but they're all hitting capacity. Um, and we're not even at peak, so we decided we need to add more capacity, so we're adding this one. Uh, we, we added this one that we're just getting ramped up. Also working on another one in the middle of the country that hopefully we'll have signed, um, next week. Um, and we're just trying to build out just additional for shipyard fulfillment for people that need a that want to outsource to us so that we can keep up with um, just keep up with the demand. I think it's going to be a struggle. Um, holiday season is going to be a struggle um, for everyone. Um, the carriers are going to be a problem. Um, you know, sign up at DHL e-commerce announced at uh, the beginning of this month. They're not taking any new customers already uh, for the whole year. Wow. Um, there's going to be delays. Warehouses don't have enough space. Like I said, most of our warehouses are full. Um, so we're just like, let's just, let's just, and it takes time to set up new spaces, right? So uh, there's all the legal stuff and, you know, leases and hiring. Hiring is the hardest part right now. Uh, so we just, yeah, we're just trying to grow some capacity um, for, for our customers. And I'm, I'm always interested in this. Like, walk me through your day. Like, what time are you waking up? What time are you having your first cup of coffee? Uh, what there's a lot of different hats that you're wearing. So like, how how is every day different for you? Are you structured? Just kind of walk uh, us and, and and the listeners through that. Yeah, so every day's you know different on on the work side. So I have got I have three kids. My youngest is 16 months. So um, so I'm, I'm up with my son in the morning. Um, when he gets up. Um, I'm dealing just usually with the kids till about nine. Um, we always worked from home, so except for when we're in a warehouse. But you know, most of the teams, programmers, customer service, things like that. So we've we've always been a work from home company. So that's not a change for us uh, with COVID. Um, so um, I I only have uh, most day, most weeks I only have like seven or eight um, scheduled stuff, um, and then the rest of the time. Um, I'm either pinging people on the team, uh, just you know, just trying to chat with everyone on the team um, on a somewhat regular cadence, um, and then uh, trying to keep myself available for emergencies. So I try not to push myself to like 
the limit so that something I used to do when I was younger, I pushed myself to the limit every day and then something bad would happen. Um, and I just, you know, there wasn't a lot left in the tank um, to deal with, you know, whatever disaster came up, which inevitably there's going to be some disaster. So I try to give myself a little bit of um, space in the day so that I'm not constantly pushing myself. And then if something comes up, then it's great. I'm fine. I have tons of energy. I could jump in. I don't get upset about it. Just jump in, go help solve it, do whatever I can. Um, and, you know, just move on with my day. And I think that's actually one of the biggest lessons I've learned from doing this for, you know, being a business owner for 20 years is like, give yourself a little bit of, uh, you know, go easier on yourself than you think you should so that um, you're available to deal with those disasters. Because when you deal with those disasters well, um, you're, you're just making a much bigger difference than you would make by, you know, grinding a couple extra hours and, you know, optimizing your Google ads slightly more. Sure, there's a little bit of ROI there, but, you know, you're going to lose that all if you screw up because you're you're overtired and there's a customer upset and you don't have the energy to get on the phone with them and, and deal with them yelling at you because you're already burnt out, right? So it's better to, like, give yourself that space and if you have to get on the phone with that customer, you do it with a, you know, a smile on your face. Aaron, I am time stamping that exact part of the of, of the podcast because I am guilty of that. I uh, set up too many meetings, and as of this year, I've been setting up like less and less, and it just mentally, it just makes such a such a difference. Um, and there really, so I, I, there I'm, are all there are always those things that come up that you just need your energy for, and you need to like be your best self, and it's it's hard to you know kind of save up for those things, but they're inevitable. Yeah, you got it. You got to make the space, yeah. and you know, I used to. I used to think like, oh, I'm slacking and I'm like, I'm pretty good at driving myself hard. And I'd be like, oh, I'm slacking. I got to work harder. I realized it's it's not productive. Right. Yeah. Got it. You have to take care of yourself. Yep. Even if you don't care about yourself, you only care about your business. Help taking care of yourself makes your business more effective. Right. Yep. So um, just a couple more questions and, and this has been great, Aaron, but, um, so with COVID right now, obviously e-commerce is just a huge uptick. Um, what what are you what do you envision now the future of e-commerce? Like, what did you uh, what's the trajectory that you think it's going to take uh, from here? Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's growing massively. Um, obviously, it's not going to continue to grow that massively. There's, um, uh, but, yeah, I'm not expecting it to tick down. I mean, my big concern is, you know, in the U.S., what's going on with uh, USPS. Um, we're already having lots of carrier issues, um, like I mentioned with DHL e-commerce. UPS and FedEx are both behind. Um, in August, which is typically the slowest month, and now, you know, there's political stuff going on with USPS. If we lose USPS either entirely or to, you know, it gets degraded, there isn't enough capacity yeah. Um, for the other carriers to pick it up, right? So e-commerce will drop um, in market share because you can only, you know, if the carriers won't take your boxes, you can't sell the product. So... Um, That's a scary thought. Well, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and for us, for, for on the Durham Warehouse side of things, so 
one thing that's great is we all of our products are under a pound, and so we ship at USPS, and we just, you know, under $5 for our shipping, and we're able to offer free shipping to customers. But Stephanie and I are both, you know, concerned about, yeah, what if USPS just shuts down, you know? Obviously, we have a backup option, but that definitely increases our, our shipping costs and our margins. Yeah, and your backup option is going to get worse because um, some of them use USPS for the last mile, right? So DHL e-commerce, yeah, yeah. Smart Post, Smart Post. And then um, even ones that don't, everyone is going to have to dump their volume on UPS and FedEx, and they're not going to be able to take it. So they're going to uh, either not allow you to increase your volume or dramatically increase their prices because you don't have a choice. There's no other way to get your product there. So... Um, you know, if your if your prices go up, not just another dollar fifty because you're going U, UPS and FedEx, but they go up another dollar fifty or two dollars on top of that because UPS and FedEx are surcharging you that much. Like, look at your net margins. Add you know three dollars and fifty cents to each package, and it suddenly becomes unsustainable, right? So you have to raise your prices. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, we're at the mercy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's right. Right now, there's, it's a three-party system, UPS, FedEx, and USPS. If it becomes like a real duopoly where it's just UPS and FedEx, like everyone else is going to get crushed by those two. They have all the pricing power. Right. Um, and I think we'll uh, – where do you see um, where do you see Shapiro and where do you see e-commerce just in the next five to ten years? Like, obviously, you're growing alongside of the e-commerce growth, so where do you just see each of those in the next five, ten years? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't really know what percentage of the economy um, – is going to is going to go to e-commerce. You know, we work a lot with you know Shopify, WooCommerce, those sort of um, those sort of platforms, which are gaining share. There's still a lot of companies on um, homegrown or sort of uh, enterprise systems that are not uh, great. I think all that. I think a lot of the volume is going to come to the standard platforms, uh, which which will help us. So uh, we care more about like how much does do those standard platforms grow versus like, you know, if someone's selling on, you know, hybrids or whatever, like we're not, we're not going to get that customer anyways because we don't work with those platforms. Um, and then for us, I think what's going to happen is a lot more people are going to go to the outsourced versus the in-house. Um, like Dress Barn as an example, they have, um, so this guy Ty Lopez bought, what the name of Dress Barn, which was like uh, a large chain that went under. Um, so he bought the name, launched it as a direct uh, consumer online-only brand. Uh, I think his whole team is like 30 people there. They're selling. I think they'll do like $100 million in revenue this year. And like Shopify Plus on the front end, they use a few of our warehouses on the back end. Um, they do, you know, I think they do their marketing in-house. You do the customer service in-house, and that's it. That's the whole team, and they're able to have so much leverage, right? 30 people, $100 million a year company is, is very impressive um, at retail, right? So I think more of that is going to happen where people are going to get, um, you know, smaller in-house teams and really leveraging those tools, you know, like Shopify, like Shapiro, that have gotten so much better over the years where, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't a Shopify to use. There wasn't a Shapiro to use. And these days, they're so good that um, I think that's where the industry is going to go. 
Awesome. And, and guys, if you don't uh, follow Aaron Rubin on Twitter, and it's at Aaron um, and ML on Twitter, uh, he also posts great just stats. He has a lot of data at his disposal on, on e-commerce. And so there's always, I love, I love those stats that you post, Aaron. So um, for everyone else, up, else out there, Aaron's a, a great follow. And um, yeah, we so appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man. And this was great just getting to learn more about you as a person, um, how you started the company and, and where Shapiro is at and where it's going. This was a fun conversation. Thank you both. Thanks. Uh, thanks right. again, Aaron.